Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. It's great to see y'all and excited that we have a chance to look into God's Word together today. Uh, we're going to be continuing a study we began last Sunday on the foundational events in Jesus' ministry, a series that we're calling Foundations, the Groundwork of a Gospel Movement. We're focusing on Matthew chapters 3 and 4. Last week, we began by looking at the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist and his ministry, and today we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. But before we look at Matthew chapter 3 together, I want to just remind you all of uh, an exciting and an important event that is happening today. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but today is the important event of the NBA All-Star Game. Now, that may not be an important event for you, but it is for me. And uh, I'm looking forward as a big basketball fan to, to watching the All-Star game tonight. Now, what's interesting is, though they are playing with a basketball, it's not much of a basketball game. It's more spectacle than anything else, as the best players in the East take on the best players in the West. And though there's not a lot of, of, of true great competition, um, there certainly is a lot of style points in the alley-oops and the slam dunks and the long-distance three-point shots that are going to be taken. But all of that drama will begin even with the introduction of the players. Uh, the introductions at the All-Star Game are epic as pyrotechnics and smoke machines and fireworks and video boards and all kinds of things go around the introduction of these All-Stars. And I was thinking about the way that all-stars are introduced as I was looking at Matthew chapter 3 this week. And in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, we have the introduction of the all-star of all-stars. We have Jesus' introduction to the world. Now, this was not Jesus' birth. Obviously, he was born in Bethlehem, and there were those who were around at his birth, like the shepherds and the wise men, who were able to... Uh, recognize Jesus as such. But when you get to Matthew chapter 3, what you have is you have Jesus entering onto the stage of his public ministry. And specifically with the baptism of Jesus, what we have is we have God introducing him to the world. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 through 17, we're going to find out who God says Jesus is as the Father's voice is heard from heaven. And there's implications of that for our lives. So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 together. And we see the introduction of the all-star of all-stars. If you've got a Bible, take it and turn to Matthew chapter 3. Beginning in verse 13, the gospel writer says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. 
And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Friends, in these few verses today, we're going to see the answers to three questions, three questions that we're going to ask that will organize our study of these verses. The first question that I want to ask is this, why was Jesus baptized? Why was Jesus baptized? You ever thought about that? Why was Jesus baptized? I mean, he comes from the area up north in Nazareth of Galilee, and he comes down to John in the Judean wilderness on the Jordan River, and he says, I want to be baptized. But the the question is why? Why did Jesus want to be baptized? And maybe the path to answer that question begins with us asking another question, and that is, why did John refuse to baptize Jesus initially? Why did John say, hey, hang on, Jesus, we're not going to do this? I mean, this event of Jesus coming and John saying no reminds us of other places in the gospel where people told the sovereign, all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing Son of God no. Think about when Jesus at the Last Supper walks up to Peter and he says, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter says, may it never be that you would wash my smelly feet. That is so below you, Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. In a very similar way, Jesus comes up to John at the very beginning of his ministry, and he says, John, you're going to baptize me. And John says, may it never be that I would baptize you. Now, why did John say that? Why did John resist initially the baptism of Jesus? Well, one of the reasons why John might have resisted baptizing Jesus initially was because of their history together. Perhaps John resisted because of their history. In the book of Luke, in chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, we find out that John and Jesus had a history that went all the way back to their time in the womb. See, John was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Jesus obviously was the son of Mary and his adopted father, Joseph. And when Mary comes with Jesus in utero to visit Elizabeth while she is still pregnant, It says that John leaped in Elizabeth's womb. Now, that, friends, is a story that probably got told at least once or twice around Elizabeth and Zachariah's dinner table. There's almost no question that John would have heard that story uh, many times. Do you all have some stories in your family that they just get told and retold and retold to the point that they're just like these epic moments in your life and history? It might be from a vacation. It might be from a holiday. It might be what somebody said. But there are stories that get told and retold because of their significance in your family. Isn't it hard to imagine that John could have grown up having leapt in his mother's womb when Jesus came near? And that story not be told to him? I mean, they they had a history together that showed that Jesus was special. You can imagine John asking the question more than once, hey, mom, what did it feel like when I leapt in your womb? And her answer probably was, not good. Um, I don't know what it would have felt like, but it certainly was an event, and it's something they would have told. It's possible that John says no because of the history that he had with Jesus. Jesus was someone special. It's also possible that John did not want to baptize Jesus because of this understanding that because of their history, Jesus was someone greater than himself. Why would John baptize someone greater than himself? John had a category that somebody would come along who would be greater than himself. He said that, we saw this last week in Matthew 3 verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John had a category that someone greater was going to come along. And that seems to be what he says to Jesus in verse 14. It's like, who am I to baptize you? You're someone greater than myself. Why would I baptize you? It's possible because of his history. It's possible because of this acknowledgement that somebody was going to come along who was greater, that John says, no, I can't be a part of this. It's also possible, though, that John didn't baptize Jesus or didn't want to baptize Jesus because of the nature of John's baptism. Why was John baptizing people? What was the, the purpose? Well, we saw it back in verse 11. John said, I baptize you with water for what? For repentance. Now, how many sins had Jesus committed? Zero. He was sinless. We don't know that John would have understood all of that in the moment, but he certainly would have known that Jesus was someone that exhibited the righteousness of God. John looks at everybody around him and he says, there's a need for everybody to repent, but you, Jesus, why would you be baptized into a baptism of repentance? For those reasons, John resists and John says no. So let me ask the question again, why was Jesus baptized? Well, Jesus insists on being baptized. He insists on being baptized. And some of the, the reasons why Jesus insisted on being baptized have been speculated on by theologians for thousands of years. Many trees have died to, to fill the books written on the answer to that question. Um, and some of the, the better answers as to why Jesus was baptized are, are found in, in just a few ideas. One idea that, of why Jesus needed to be baptized was that he was identifying with the sinfulness of humanity. He was identifying with, with our sinfulness. Uh, we get this idea when you look at passages like uh, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12. In Isaiah 53, we have a prophecy about the Messiah, and, it's, and it says uh, in 53, 12, it says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In other words, Jesus was baptized to identify with sinful humanity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 lets us know that Jesus became our sinfulness so that we might share in his righteousness. It's this idea of Jesus being baptized to demonstrate his, his connection with us in our sinfulness. That's one of the, the ideas that is found here um, in this passage, one of the speculations as to why Jesus was baptized. I, I, th I thought about the book of Nehemiah this week as I read that, where Nehemiah offers a prayer of uh, repentance for the nation because he identifies himself with the nation's sins. It's possible that Jesus was identifying himself with the sins of you and I as he goes into the water with John. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he was baptized. Another reason why Jesus was baptized has been speculated was to create an example for us who will follow him. Jesus was to say in Matthew 28 verse 19 in the Great Commission, a passage we looked at a few weeks ago, that we are to go into all the earth making disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's going to command us to be baptized and to baptize others. Therefore, he provides an example in his baptism. It's possible that that is one of the reasons why Jesus 
was insisting on his baptism. Another idea is that maybe Jesus was being baptized to validate John's ministry. We saw last week in Matthew chapter 17, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said that John was the one who came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, the forerunner that ran before me. And it's possible that Jesus goes to be baptized by John to remind everybody that he was acknowledging and approving of John's ministry. It's one of the other reasons why we would would guess why Jesus insisted on being baptized by John. But you know what's interesting? None of those are the reason that Jesus gave. Why did, what is the reason that Jesus gave for why he was going to be baptized by John? Well, we find that in verse 15. Jesus answered him and said, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus being baptized in the Jordan by John was done to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what in the world does that mean? I think it's interesting to note that when he says that this is to fulfill all righteousness, he said this is for us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, there is a very active and important role that John is going to play in this. It's not just that Jesus is the righteousness of God. It's that there's something that John needs to do and something that Jesus needs to do in order to fulfill the righteousness of God. It's helpful for us to remember that when Matthew speaks of righteousness throughout his gospel, he is talking about living in harmony and in accord with God's revealed will. And so the idea that we see is that Jesus went into the water to be baptized by John, and John consented and baptized Jesus out of obedience to the Father's will. I mean, these other ideas that are on the screen behind me, it's it's not that those are bad ideas, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that the reason why this happens ultimately is because it was God's will for John to baptize Jesus. Therefore, Jesus goes and John consents and Jesus is baptized. It was a step of obedience for him. Now, friends, this has got some implications for our life that we're going to talk about a little later on. But for right now, let's just remember for a moment, why was Jesus baptized? He was baptized out of obedience to the Father to fulfill all righteousness. Now, second question we need to ask is this. If Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, what happens at that point? Why did God want this to happen? And really, the path to answering that question is found here by asking who was being baptized? Who was baptized? You see, in the baptism of Jesus, we have not so much something for you and I to do as there is someone highlighted that we are to believe in. The identity of Jesus is on full display at his baptism so that you and I might see it, embrace it, and believe in him. It is the introduction of the all-star of all-stars with God on the microphone in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Well, what do we find out about Jesus in this introduction? The first thing that we find out about Jesus in this introduction is that he is the one we saw this back in Matthew 3, 11. I baptize you with water, John says, for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
All the events that happen and the, the, the affirmation of Jesus and God introducing him from heaven and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, all of that is to identify that Jesus is the one. He's the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Messiah, our hope for all eternity. God wants to make it clear that we see that in this moment. Jesus is the one. A second thing that we see, though, is not just that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, but we also see here that through Jesus, prophecy is resuming. We see this in Matthew 3.16 when the heavens are opened up and God speaks forth. See, there had been a, a period of silence that the nation of Israel had been enduring. Throughout the Old Testament time, God spoke to his people through prophets. But ending in the days of Zechariah and Malachi, there was a 400-year period of silence from that point up until the birth of Christ. Sure, God began to whisper when he spoke to Mary and said, you're going to have a son. And when he spoke to Zechariah and said that you're going to have a son named John. But at the baptism of Jesus, the heavens are pulled back and God speaks forth in a way that people can hear in order to identify Jesus as the Son of God, the one through whom prophecy would resume. God was going to be speaking to his people again through Christ, and God wanted to make clear that we understood that. Therefore, he speaks over him at the moment of his introduction in his baptism. What did the voice of God sound like as he spoke? It sounded like James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman. I don't know what it sounded like. The closest thing we have biblically to understand this is in John chapter 12, where another time Jesus is having a conversation with God about his glory, and it says the voice of the Lord cracked like thunder, rumbled like thunder. We don't know exactly what it sounded like, but, but God speaks, and God is speaking through Christ that we would understand that when Jesus speaks, he's speaking the word of God. What else do we find out about Jesus? We find out that he is the one on whom the Spirit rests. The heavens open and the Spirit comes down in bodily form like a, like a dove and rests upon him. Now, this is an important symbol because it further identifies Jesus as the promised Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, we have a prophecy about the coming Messiah. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. The Spirit of God coming and resting on Christ further identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. And the Spirit comes and rests there upon him. Now, what did the Spirit do as it rested upon him? Well, it does a couple of things. One is it demonstrates God's power. It demonstrates God's power. We see back in the, the book of Isaiah, in chapter 61 and verse 1, uh, this conversation about what the Spirit of the Lord does when it shows up. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. See, the Spirit of God showing up and resting on Christ is a reminder that God is at work through Jesus to accomplish the mission of the Messiah mentioned in the the book of Isaiah, going in the power of the Lord. 
It is something also that is done as a reminder of the way that Jesus' ministry would play out. In Luke chapter 4 and other places, Jesus is said to go in the power of the Spirit and conduct his ministry. This creates a pattern for us as followers of Christ. How do we minister in Jesus' name? We do it as he did in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit descending upon Jesus, of course, was not something that was, was new for Christ, but it was really done for our benefit. Seeing the Spirit coming and resting upon Christ reminded us of who Jesus was and his connection to the Father. It was a coronation of sorts by God the Father of the King of Kings, done for our benefit so that we would understand who he was. Not only do we see that the Spirit was resting on the Messiah, but also we see that Jesus is God himself. Look at what it says in verses 16 and 17. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Friends, this is one of the most clear pictures of our Trinitarian understanding of God. Because we have the heavens opening, and who is speaking from heaven? God the Father. We have the River Jordan with Jesus standing in there. Who is who? God the Son. And we have in bodily form the dove descending, God the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, you see God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an indication of the divinity of Christ as part of our triune God, three in one. We see Jesus presented as God. Not only that, but we see him presented as the one with whom the Father is well pleased. The Father speaks over Jesus and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We saw hints of that in the Isaiah 42 passage as well. Friends, in, in this way, God speaks down and introduces Christ to the world. And he does that through his voice, thundering out over Christ, introducing him as the Son of God. And he does that through the Spirit descending like a dove. And all of those things are done, friends, for your benefit and for mine and for those who were present that day. For us to understand who was being introduced on the stage. There is someone for us to believe. He's highlighted in that way. We see this really when we look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 and following. John the Baptist describes what that event meant to him in his identification of Jesus when he says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The events of Matthew chapter 3 and the baptism of Jesus are intended to introduce 
Jesus to us. We need to remember who was baptized. Now, all of that said, I think it's appropriate for us to ask a third question. We asked, why was Jesus baptized? We asked, who was baptized? The third question, I think, is is important for us to ask, and that is this, what are we to do? What do I do with this information? Well, the first thing I think we can do is we can believe in Jesus. We can believe in Jesus. Again, this is an introduction for us to see who he is, and there is an implicit call for us to believe in him, to embrace him for who he really is. Now, I want to talk about why that matters in just a moment, but let me just set the Scripture aside for a minute and use a picture in this passage to help us drive this point home a little bit. In this passage, God, our Heavenly Father, speaks down to Jesus and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, let me ask you, think of your relationship with your Heavenly Father. How many of you would love to have, I'm sorry, your earthly father, excuse me. How many of you would love to have your earthly father say to you, that is my child in whom I am well pleased? How many of you would love to hear that? My guess is all of us would love to hear that. Now, when I say it, there are some of you that that angers because you never heard that from your father. And and it, it brings about this frustration. You've spent a lifetime trying to fill that void. But wouldn't it be amazing to hear a heartfelt saying from your earthly father, you are my child in whom I'm well pleased. Others of you, it's painful because your, your earthly father is not here anymore. They've, they've passed on. You would love to hear that just one more time from them. You, they're well pleased in you. Wouldn't you love to hear that? For others of you, had a, a great relationship with your father at different points in, in life, um, even continuing to this day, but even, even for us, we would love to hear it again. I, I've told this story several times, uh, but I, I'll, I'll share it again here. There, there was a point in high school where I was playing high school basketball, and our team was really good, um, not because of me, but because I was born at the right time in that city. Um, but as we were playing along in our, our senior year, um, I was a captain on that team, and I was having a, a really a, a rough time shooting the ball. As a matter of fact, I I had a game uh, in a Christmas tournament where I went something like 0 for 6 from three-point land. Now, that didn't feel good. Now, it it felt even worse when I was walking out of the gym that night, and in front of me were, uh, or I was in front of this group of men behind me, grown men, and they were having a conversation, not knowing that I was there in front of them, and they said, what's the matter with Robinson? And I remember hearing that, and, and it just crushed me. I don't know why it crushed me so much, but as an 18-year-old kid, it just bothered me. And I went home going, yeah, what is the matter with me? And I went to bed that night, and I wake up the next morning, and my dad wakes me up at 7.30 in the morning, and he says, hey, let's go grab some breakfast. And we go out to breakfast where all good fathers and sons go. We went to Grandy's, and we sat down at breakfast, and he just looked across the table at me, and he says, I just want you to know that I'm proud of you. I'm just proud of you proud of who you are and the, and the man you are, and I don't care if you make another basket ever. I just want you to know that I'm proud of you. I come home, and there's a phone call from my coach, and he says, I believe in you. I just want you to, to go out there, and I don't care if you miss the first five. I want you to keep shooting because we need you, and I, I believe in you. Well, I walk out on the court that night for the finals of that tournament, and I felt like I was Michael Jordan after that. 
Um, I was so encouraged by that because I, it was so wonderful to hear my father say to me, I'm proud of you. You're my son in whom I'm well pleased. Friends, wouldn't you love to hear your heavenly father say to you, you are my child. In you, I am well pleased. Wouldn't you love to hear that? How do we get to hear that? How do we get to hear that? You know, we begin to think about that idea and we think, well, that can never happen to me because of the mistakes that I've made in the past. I can never hear that because of the sin that is even around me today. There's not enough time for me to make up for the wrong that I've done. But friends, here's the thing. We have a hope in Christ of disappearing inside of him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says it this way. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, if we are clothed in Christ, you know what we get to hear? Behold my child, my son or my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Not because of our work, but because of Jesus' work on our behalf. We get to be hidden in him and thus accepted by God. Why do we need to believe in Christ? Because it's our hope for eternity. The first thing that we need to do is to believe in him. But the second thing that I think we need to draw from this passage as a response for us is that we are to be obedient in baptism. We are to be obedient in baptism. Remember, Jesus stepped out in baptism as a step of obedience to the Father's will. And when we think of baptism for us, it is a step of obedience as well. Baptism is not something that brings salvation upon a person, but it is something that follows the salvation that God has given, but it's a step of obedience by a follower of Christ. We see this pattern laid out for us in the book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 41, in chapter 8, verse 12, in chapter 10, verses 47 and 48, and other places where we see this pattern of people believing in Christ for their salvation, and then they are baptized. Belief, and then they are baptized. It's a step of obedience for the follower of Christ after their conversion after they have trusted in Christ, for them to go through the experience of water baptism. It's a gift that God has given to us. And that gift is one that pictures our full identification with Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The book of Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 makes this clear. When it talks about those of us who have been identified with Christ in baptism or identified with his death and his burial... In other words, when we take somebody underneath the water of baptism, we are pictured with identifying with the death of Christ on our behalf. His death paid the full penalty for our sins. And then when you come up from the waters of baptism, it's a symbol and a reminder of the newness of life we get to walk about in the resurrection life of Christ. That's the picture of Christian baptism, a gift that God has given to the church. And while would we practice baptism in that manner, a manner known as immersion baptism, where we take people beneath the water and then back up after they have professed their faith in Christ, because we believe that that is what the Scripture teaches about baptism. As a matter of fact, the word baptizo, the Greek word behind our English word baptize, 
actually means to dip or to immerse. Therefore, we practice baptism in this way. Uh, This is not unique to us. It's been a part of the church from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s said this about immersion baptism. He says, In immersion, the setting forth of the burial of Christ is more plainly expressed, in which this manner of baptizing is more commendable. We baptize by immersion as a gift. We baptize as a step of obedience in following Christ. And here's the question I have for you. Have have you been baptized with water since trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Some of you may have been christened as a child, but you've not been baptized since profession of faith. Based on the the, the tenor of the book of Acts and the principles of, of Acts chapter 6, would you consider being obedient to God? in expressing your faith through water baptism. For others of you, you've trusted Christ recently, but you are wondering, well, is this for me? The answer is, if you've not been baptized, this is for you. It was important for Jesus to take the step of faith for all righteousness with John to be baptized in the Jordan. It's important for us to be baptized as well. And our next baptism here at Wildwood is going to be on April the 2nd. We've got a baptism class coming up in just a couple of weeks on March the 5th where you can find out more about baptism and our path to be baptized in that April service. And if you are interested in taking that next step, there's information in your bulletin today, and you can just visit our website, wildwoodchurch.org baptism, and find out more information about that. But we have the privilege, friends, of knowing who Christ is, believing in him, and then being obedient to him through water baptism. Friends, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship today. We thank you for... Uh, the power of your word that directs us uh, to know who you are. Thank you that you introduced Jesus. He didn't live incognito, Father, but you went out of your way to make sure that we knew who he was and you preserved your word so that we, 2,000 years later, could see who he is. And Father, I pray that you would give each of us in this room faith to believe and trust in Christ, that we might be your children in whom you are well-pleased not because of our good deeds, but because of his. And Father, if anyone here today has never placed their faith and trust in Christ, I pray that they would do so even now. From their heart, that they would embrace Jesus' death as the full payment for their sins. And Father, I pray for any in this room who have never taken the step of water baptism, Father, that you would just guide them to take that step, following the example of Christ in obedience to your will. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.